I often hear from folks that say, I like that you're supporting cyclists and I like that you're supporting bicycling, but not everybody can use a bike to replace their car. I'm not trying to get everybody out of their car and onto a bike, but I think that a lot more people can actually use a bike more than they might think they can. On top of that, the more people we can get onto bikes, the more space there is on the road for people who really need their vehicles. I'm Andrea Learned, and welcome to Living Change, a podcast exploring unconventional climate leadership. I'm interested in talking to people who've converted their personal values into business and policy decisions. The more visible we are about these changes, the more we chart the way forward for leaders wanting to create new social norms. Today, I'm speaking with British Columbia's Minister of State for Infrastructure, Bowen Ma. A few years ago, Bowen made the transition to e-bike for her work in the legislature. That one habit shift has had huge downstream effects from becoming more accessible to her constituents to influencing her legislative strategy on mode shift to active transportation infrastructure. I wanted to know more about what the term active transportation means to her. Let's talk about the term active transportation. I try to use that as a way to encompass all of the different ways that we move under our own power. Um, of course, I'll talk about cycling. And of course, I'll talk about bike lanes. Uh, but I feel like sometimes those who don't regularly cycle have this misunderstanding of what it is that we are talking about when we're talking about improving uh, safe travel infrastructure for people who bike or people who walk or so forth. And they think that we're talking about only providing infrastructure for this mythical well it's not so <laughs> mythical but like you know that 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 guy in the lycra like spandex yeah. <laughs> who's like on his four thousand dollar road bike and only and, on sundays only and on only sundays. On, yeah that's right like this the idea that it's a very very small percentage of the population when in fact the vast majority of us engage in some form of active transportation because even if you drive you are probably walking at some point. We're also talking about making it safer, smoother, uh, better for people who use mobility devices to travel or people who use transit because most transit users are also engaged in active transportation. They are going from their home to the bus stop and they're probably not driving from their home to the bus stop. They're probably walking along some type of sidewalk, some type of path. And so active transportation is a phrase that I use to try to reduce that psychological barrier that people have that might prevent them from seeing themselves on the kind of infrastructure we're talking about. I want to drill down on this point. The weekend Lycra cyclist is one of those frustrating stereotypes that creates the psychological barrier Bowen is talking about here. Lots of people don't even consider an e-bike as a viable or realistic method of transportation. They're probably picturing the serious spandex biker and feeling intimidated. Like if you aren't a Lycra-wearing, long-distance cyclist, you somehow lack the resources or skills to make the transition to biking local trips. I love what Bowen's saying here. We need to start thinking about active transportation as biking, walking, and public transit. They all work together to reduce dependency on cars. 
Seeing leaders regularly e-biking reflects it as a safe, reliable, and fast way to get around. Living change in this way has massive climate influence. That's why Bowen's story about transitioning to an e-bike has the potential to inspire many more urban folks. My partner and I, we used to have two cars. Both of them were gas vehicles, and both of those vehicles came to the end of life, and we had to decide what we did to replace them. And we ended up purchasing with help from family because I'm a millennial and I don't have, you know, that kind of money sitting around. <laughs> so I actually <laughs> took out a loan from my dad to help us purchase an electric vehicle. And then our second vehicle was an e-cargo bike. And that's actually what I use. And I often hear from folks that say, you know, I like that you're supporting cyclists and I like that you're supporting bicycling, but not everybody can use a bike to replace their car. And usually what my answer is, I'm not trying to get everybody out of their car and onto a bike, but I think that a lot more people can actually use a bike more than they might think they can. And on top of that, the more people we can get onto bikes, the more space there is on the road for people who really need their vehicles. And so supporting active transportation, supporting mode shift onto bikes, e-bikes, cargo e-bikes, it helps everyone because we're, we're making space on the roads. It took a little while for me to decide that I could make the transition to an e-bike instead of having my own car. Part of that is because the North Shore is known for a few things. One, of course, is bad traffic. But the other things that it's known for is a lot of rain and mountains. This is where the mountains are. Yeah. And so I wasn't sure if uh, I would be able to, you know, show up as an MLA, as a, as a minister, show up to a press conference ready to be in front of a camera. Right. Like I had to really think about these things, right? And a cargo bike allowed for me to, uh, I, I have a, a big box on the, on the back of my bike with a bin that I basically use as my trunk that I can carry around, you know, my spare shoes. And I figured out that I can actually cycle in business wear if I've got a bit of stretch in the dress that I'm yes, wearing or if, yes. I'm, or if I choose an A-line dress yes. instead of like a pencil skirt, that kind of thing, right? So I've, I have managed to find ways to make it work. And my hope is that I can kind of help demonstrate that, yes, cycling isn't for everybody in every situation, but it might be possible for more people in more situations than they might have previously thought. A lot of rain and mountains sounds familiar. As a Seattleite, I also have an EV because sometimes you do need a car. I'm not saying get rid of your car altogether, but get an e-bike because you won't believe how much you use it. Vehicles are incredibly expensive. They're expensive to buy, to own, to operate. My e-cargo bike, I purchased it for about I think it was five or six thousand dollars before tax, and we actually our government ended up removing sales tax off of electric bikes. So if I had purchased it a couple of years later, right. it would have saved me a bunch. But that's all right. I'm glad that other people are able to yes. benefit from our changes. Yeah. But when I talk to people, they'll see the bike and they'll say something along the lines of, "Oh man, that's a expensive bike." And my response will be, "Yeah, but it's a lot cheaper than if I were to buy a second vehicle." Bowen pedals or talk. She went through all the same decision-making as her constituents, and she's helping demonstrate that it's possible. 
Sometimes it takes a little strategic thinking, like changing the way you dress for work. But you shouldn't feel like you need to go full lycra. In his new book, The Persuaders, Anand Giridharadas wrote about what it will take for political change. And one thing he emphasizes is how much better it is to say what you are for and to tell the better story. Bowen understands that innately. Her presence on social media is accessible and optimistic. I mean, one of the motivators, one of my motivators for getting into politics was being worried about climate change and realizing that it was important to have climate-oriented voices in government if we want government to do the right thing from a climate change perspective. And also realizing that it takes sacrifice to be an elected official and to put yourself out there and to do this role. And if I wasn't willing to do it, then how could I expect other people to be willing to make that sacrifice and and enter into this role? I love that. And so there will be some people from your community who will come directly to you and say, we love that you're doing things like climate action, we want more, etc. Are there others in your community who sort of are resistant to the term climate action, but they're their game for transportation, you know, for active, tra- you know, like talking about climate, but not talking about climate? I'm very, very fortunate. In my neck of the woods, I think overwhelmingly, my local community understands the importance of climate action. Now, they might not always like what that means for, yeah. for them day to day, because I mean, for instance, if we are prioritizing climate action and addressing congestion in the area that I'm living in under that context, then we know that we can't keep on building more and more lanes on bridges for cars and ignoring all of the other forms of transportation. Mm -hmm. Now, that might be very frustrating. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's very frustrating for a lot of community members to hear. I will say, though, certainly there's a, a diversity of views on the importance and urgency of climate action throughout the province. And there will certainly be other communities as well that will be less concerned about climate action, more concerned about being able to live their daily lives and not spend so much time in congestion. Now, we are very fortunate, though, in this particular issue, because largely the solution to congestion and the solution to helping people spend less time in their cars is actually the climate-oriented solution, you know, enabling more socially and environmentally responsible forms of travel, building complete communities so that people don't have to travel 50 kilometers to get to and from their job. Like those are actions that improve quality of life for people, but also help us uh, lessen the transportation impact in terms of climate change too. So in different communities, we need to speak to what's important to them. Yes. Well, it's interesting. Some work that I've gotten involved in recently is related to affordable housing in Los Angeles. And one of the things that's been so interesting about looking at that and how you message that is as the whole system, and part of that is it's affordable housing near jobs, right, and along transit. So it is that whole kind of livable communities thing. And some people may be coming into it for the affordable housing. Some people may be coming into it for less congestion as they drive into work. And and so I think this whole systems idea usually gives each community or each sector something to hold on to, right, that forwards the climate influence. So one of the major shifts in the way that we are thinking about transportation used to be that we 
as a ministry could only acquire the land that we needed to build a highway, to build a subway station, to have the right of way for this particular transportation infrastructure. Our government recently passed legislation to allow the Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure to strategically acquire land for purposes other than direct transportation infrastructure. And now we can actually acquire strategically placed land for transit-oriented development. So that means housing, childcare, grocery stores, potentially schools, hospitals. Like, So we're actually able now to strategically acquire land around transit stations to create this like hub-based community and making a much more deliberate effort to engage in the development of those kinds of amenities because it's so related to a good transportation system. I want to emphasize what Bowen just said there. We should be thinking about land use when we're thinking about transportation systems, and we should be taking land into account even if it's indirect. That's super powerful. Affordable housing is part of a system of transportation, inextricably linked with transit and intentional community hubs. One of the neglected ways to reduce emissions in cities is to think about last mile delivery. You know how Amazon delivers packages in a half second to your door? That's last mile delivery. There's this cool alternative, well, I think it's cool, to Amazon vans called psychologistics. I guess I would describe psychologistics as being simply replacing first mile, last mile vehicles with cycles, usually e-cargo bikes. Or LEVs, I think light electric vehicles is another term. We actually partnered with the city of Vancouver on a cargo e-bike project where we supported the development of a cargo e-bike micro hub. So the idea is all of these goods would come in on the big trucks that they do from vast distances, and then they get close to the city, you go to this hub, and then from there, they get distributed through these e-cargo bikes. Instead of getting loaded up into vans or smaller delivery vehicles, you put them into these e-cargo bikes. I mean, they're pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they might have a trailer with them. That's right. I mean, the trailer, the the box is, is pretty big. But There is evidence that shows, especially in urban areas where congestion is significant, that deliveries by this method can be far more efficient and effective, even on a for-profit basis. So, I mean, I'm thinking, for instance, downtown Vancouver, if you get someone to courier a package from one end of downtown Vancouver to the other end in a car, well, you know, first they've got to find parking and then once they found parking, they're probably running a block anyway to your business and they're picking up your package and then they're going back to their parking spot and then they're driving at a, like a very, very slow crawl across downtown <laughs> right. Vancouver. Right. And then they're going to have to find another parking spot. We often think of cars as being faster and being able to deliver more. But in those scenarios, having somebody on a bike that can handle that package is probably going to be a faster choice for you. So the psychologistics basically is looking to replace that first mile, last mile kind of delivery service, but with bikes. People haven't even imagined the potential power and profitability of the microhomes, of rethinking that first and last mile in terms of bike delivery and of the money and time that will be saved. We need to repeat and repeat that making green choices is profitable and worth innovating. 
Surprising validator leadership stories are the most powerful for influencing climate action at scale. Our culture reflects political leaders as white and male and in three-piece suits. We've seen this at global climate events up to and including COP27. Bowen is different. She's a surprising validator doing all of these amazingly bold things. I wondered where her conviction to live her values and bring others along came from. Where does it come from? Uh, I think I've always had a bit of a rebellious streak. And I think that that gives me the tendency to do things or try to do things, um, particularly when I'm told that I can't do them. <gasps> oh, I love it, Vaughn. So someone came up to me who was a, a white male, and I believe that he meant well. And he had been involved with the party for, for quite a while. And our party has uh, something called the equity mandate that required for different constituency associations to be very intentional about making sure that they have asked multiple women, multiple people of color to run for nomination. And basically, it's kind of like you have to make the effort. This person came up to me on behalf of the Riding Association and said something along the lines of, hey, Bowen, you know, you should run. You should consider running for the nomination. You would make an excellent equity candidate. But, you know, I mean, you're not actually going to win the nomination because so-and-so is going to win. Oh, oh, they said all of that, but with that little thing at the end? <laughs> exactly. And, and the so-and-so that they were referring to was another white male. Okay. <laughs> And I don't know, that just kind of made me, re I, I kind of like, it's like, I know that I think he's meant well, he's trying to encourage me, but also, you know, manage my expectations, because I'm definitely not going to win against this other guy. Right. And that kind of made me go like, I'll show you. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Oh, my gosh. And I've kind of carried that attitude through a lot of things that I do. So maybe that's the root of it, or at least my political start of that kind of attitude. That makes a lot of sense. I think it's funny you describe your rebellious streak, and then you run for office. Because I think most people think if you're rebellious, you do everything you can to go off grid and not be connected with politics at all. But your rebellious streak was like, I'll show you. I'm going to invade your space and make it work. <laughs> I love that rebellious streak. That's a fantastic story. So that's it for me. I wanted to thank you so much for your service and for being an enduring example of a leader living change and all the climate influence you have in your work. I hope that anyone in public service will take note and learn from you because I'm definitely so inspired. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk, Bowen. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Climate impact and sustainability can seem daunting when we think about it globally, but policymakers taking simple steps to live the change can impact policy, can impact business, and can scale climate action. The more e-bikers there are in leadership roles, the more naturally Mochis will emerge throughout city planning and infrastructure. Identifying, building, and leveraging your leadership is something few may feel prepared to do, but climate influence can't wait. If your organization is ready to make the shift, reach out to me. I'd love to help. Find me at www.learnedon.com. I'm also easy to find on Twitter, until it is no more, and LinkedIn. Living Change is produced by Large Media. That's L-A-R-J 
Media. Special thanks to Tina, Joelle, Jeff, Nick, and Maria. Until next time, paddle safely.